Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And this is another exciting episode of the Closers Inner Circle podcast hosted by Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay III on your Partner in Success Radio. Now, Ben joins me each Wednesday, and this is where we discuss sales mastery and honestly, anything else that crosses our minds as we chat. And we study Ben's famous sales books, also known as the Bibles, you know, this, the Closers Bibles, the Closers Part 1 and Part 2. And last week, we covered page 49 on Part 2, and that title was called Do You Own One? It was fascinating. So be sure to download and listen on your Partner in Success Radio or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. And I just built a brand new website, so please check it out, Your Partner in Success Radio. It's the same URL that it always was. It's just a new look, and I'm really pleased with it. So check it out and let me know what you think. So our topic today is Unlocking Sales Success, the Crucial Strategy of Qualifying Without Prejudice. And we are working in the Closers Part 2 this week, page 29. And the chapter is titled Qualify But Don't Prejudge. And this is important. It's an important thing to think about because prejudging prospects based on appearances or initial interactions can really lead to missed opportunities. I've done it. I've seen it happen. And every sales prospect or potential client is unique. And assumptions may cloud your understanding of their needs and their potential value. And sometimes you just come across as being kind of a jerk and you don't want to do that. So qualifying without prejudice is a strategic move that sets you apart in the competitive world of sales. It actually positions you as a perceptive and empathetic professional who values each client individually. And by adopting an open-minded stance, you open the door to discovering really sometimes unexpected opportunities. Your clients or your potential clients or your sales prospect may well surprise you with hidden needs or untapped potential. Ben, it's Wednesday. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm glad to be here. I'm at that age where I'm glad to be anywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I I'm, I'm, couldn't be happier to do it. We had a good session as usual last week, and we ought to have a good one today because uh, pre-qualifying people and prejudging people are two entirely different things. Most people prejudge and billions of dollars in sales cumulatively are lost. I guess worldwide, probably trillions of dollars are lost because they 
overestimated or underestimated the person without going to the prospect, without going to the trouble to find out what the truth was. So um, exactly. ready to ready to explain it and, and oh, uh, yeah. give some examples. Well, and I'll give you an example here. I'm in Southwest Louisiana. This is oil field country. You know, I'm 15 miles from the Gulf of Mexico as a crow flies. In fact, I know when the hurricane season is getting really serious because helicopters fly over my house. They're sending their guys out there to pick up everybody that's on those rigs. And if you go down the highway, it's oil field, oil field, oil field. It's it's a big business here. And this was some years ago, and I'm pretty sure I shared about this man. He drove a Rolls Royce, and then he treated it like a pickup truck. It was awful <laughs> what he did to that thing. But he came by with my you know, I owned a jewelry store, and he came by there and said, hey, Denise, take it for a ride. And I said, oh, my God, no. He goes, well, you know, I'm going to wreck it. I said, okay. So off I went. <laughs> if you were to come across this man in the grocery store or anywhere, you would think he was straight out of a, a hut somewhere. Mm -hmm. He looked like he was homeless most days. One of the most wealthy men in this part of the country. You'd never know it to look at him. Well, a salesperson could make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> they that. did. He would tell me about, you know, how some people, of course, he was well known around here in his industry. So those people didn't make that mistake unless they were new and they were coming in. You know, somebody said, go, you know, go sell this man. And they would walk in. His office was a mess. His car was a mess. He was a mess. That's just who he was. One of the hardest working people you ever come across in your life. He's gone now, but unless they were new and hadn't been warned, oh my, and he'd have fun with them. They'd never get his business, but he'd sure give them hell. <laughs> I forget where I was. Texas comes to mind, but I saw, I assume it wasn't built at the factory, but it looked like it was. It was perfect color coordination, everything. I saw a pickup Rolls Royce, and I think it was just some rich guy or a girl who, had it altered or customized or whatever, but I was fascinated. In fact, I was somebody else was driving. I said, "Turn around, turn around, follow that." I've got to, I got to make sure that's what I saw. And sure enough, it was a pickup truck, Rolls Royce, and it didn't have a whole lot of junk in the back. But I think it was a bale of hay or something. It was legitimate. He needed a pickup, and he was doing well enough where he wanted a Rolls Royce, so he got both. Good and, and my brother-in-law, who just uh, passed away on the 4th of July, uh, used to tell the story, a friend of his who was had lots of money, but he was mainly land rich, he owned several hundred of, hundreds of acres right in the path of growth in our area from Sacramento and so on. And he dressed like he worked, you know, probably like your friend. And... Uh, was standing outside one of our local restaurants one day and waiting for his wife or whatever. And this this lady who all of us know came out, saw him, but didn't know him and said, oh, hi, how are you? Uh, can I help you a little bit? He said, no, I'm, I'm good. And she got $5 out of her purse and says, here, I want you to get something. He said, no, no, I'm fine. And she put the $5 in his overall front pocket, patted it and said, don't be proud. Oh. And when he would tell the story, he'd say, you know, I think I got to start dressing a little better. Well, her heart <laughs> was in the right place. So there's Because <laughs> he could have bought the restaurant they were standing in front of and her right. house and, 
and lots of other things. So you you never know. In fact, one of the stories I tell in uh, uh, Qualify uh, but Don't Prejudge involves almost exactly that. I was a young salesman working at Davison's in Atlanta. Uh, people who aren't from Atlanta would know it better as Macy's. They, Macy's owned it. And uh, I, I was working a department that was a combination sporting goods department. And it was also where they stuck the camera department, which was about, you know, three counters and a backdrop. It wasn't a big deal. And almost at exactly the same time, from each end of the department, two gentlemen entered. One was dressed like the guy I was just telling you about and the one you were telling me about. Overalls, um, time has dulled the memories, but I think he had dirt and things on his shoes you, <laughs> you wouldn't want to ask about. And from the other angle came uh, this guy sharply dressed in a business suit and and so on. And so I, with my quick little mind, and I was the only one in the department, there was, a, there was a guy coming back any minute from his break. But right then I was by myself. I said to the guy in the overalls, I'll be with you in just a second. And then I focused my attention on the sharp looking guy. Well, the sharp looking guy had a five or six year old son. He was there to get him, you know, make believe football outfit, which involved cardboard uh, shoulder pads and some dinky little helmet. You pray to God you didn't get hit in it. And uh, you know, this goes back years ago. So the total purchase couldn't have been $20. Uh, throw in a, a, a pair of shoes or something. And uh, then when I sent it up in the pneumatic tube, a lot of your listeners won't know what that is, but you'd wrap up the, the little sales slip and put it in a tube, which would go three floors up and pop out in the accounting department. It came back, denied, get the card. And, uh, <laughs> which and left me. this little boy. Oh, no. Yeah. Now I got to confront an adult, and I'm not one yet, and tell him his card has been confiscated. It's in my pocket. Meanwhile, my friend, his name was Hart Bro. I'll never remember. I'll never forget it. Returned from lunch, came up the escalator, walked up on this guy. I said, Hart, would you help him, please? And uh, with inflation and all, the, the numbers probably don't make a lot of sense today. But I noticed in the book, I think it talked about $1,500. The guy said, yeah, I'd like that and that and that. He was pointing at things in the cabinet he'd been staring at. And that'll be cash. And he reached into his overalls and pulled out fifteen hundred or two thousand. Today that would be fifteen thousand or twenty thousand in rumpled up hundred dollar bills and spread them out. In fact, back then there were thousand dollar bills. He might have had one of those. And, I don't think uh, I've ever even seen a picture yeah, of one. Yeah, threw it on the counter. Had Hart put it in a bag for him. Said thank you very much and wandered out. And I'm standing there with a denied slip that had just come back from the accounting department by via pneumatic tube get the card and that the only difference they arrived at the same time i looked at the guy in the overalls with the dirt on him and decided he wasn't worth my time mm. a, a similar situation it didn't involve, I, I wasn't there but he was telling me about it hugh harris uh, a big deal in the uh home improvement business and a client and friend, now a big deal in the restaurant business in and around Ringgold, Georgia, brought all that promotional skill to bear 
on Ringgold and has built two extremely successful restaurants in the past couple of years. And he liked to cook, but other than that, he didn't know anything about running a restaurant. He just knew how to promote and run a business. So uh, he started doing that and has done very well. Back up 20 years, he goes to a garage sale. And I think he was cleaning out his own garage. So he was dressed like you might be at a garage sale. Had I been there, the way he described himself, I probably would have glanced over him and tried to find somebody who might spend a little more money. But what he did was he bought for 50 cents out of a box a copy of The Closers Part One. Ah. 50 cents. And of course, I wouldn't have gotten the money anyway. It wasn't my garage sale. But I admit that I probably would have missed him. And he bought it for 50 cents, called me a few weeks later, and we have done together millions of dollars in business, in consulting, coaching, books for all of his salespeople in his 10 offices, et cetera. And that's one, one I admit, even having suffered the blow of the, of the uh, camera department experience, I probably would have still missed him. And then... Here's one on the other side where I'm ratting out somebody else because I was the, the customer they misjudged. Jimmy Rucker and I started making some money in Holiday Magic Cosmetics, which was uh, one of the early MLM, multi-level marketing companies. And uh, one of the things you needed to do was show people you were making money. Everybody that recruited us into the business and was wandering around in there fancy suits. They might have only had one, but it was a tailor-made suit and so on. They were all driving Lincolns or Cadillacs or what have you. So in 1965, after being in this uh, for just a few months, but starting to roll, uh, Jimmy and I decided that we would get a Cadillac to take to the opportunity meetings and to pick up prospects and so on. And whoever had the the best prospect got to drive the car that night and because we only had one. And then we told people that we got, so no one would be jealous, we got two cars. Um, you didn't. A, 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 yeah, identical. And uh, I said, you know, the mirrors, and the radio, everything is identical and the color and everything because Jimmy didn't want to be find out I had some feature he didn't have and so on. And an older, wiser guy standing there with me in front of the Americana Hotel said just exactly alike. He was a distributor himself. I said, yeah. And he said, right down to the license tag number. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> was paying attention. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. Anyway. In 1965, a new Cadillac was $5,000, this car, Sedan DeVille four-door, uh, hard top, meaning no center post, was $5,000. And that was a lot of money. I mean, it's $50,000 or more today. Uh, and, and we got the base model. This wasn't the one with, you know, a twirling turntable on top or anything. And... Uh, the guy sold it to us, and it was obvious that we were young. Uh, I was 23, I think, and that maybe we were stretching a bit, but we had the money in the bank, and uh, he was able to get the check certified or cashiered or whatever, so he sold it to us. I never heard from him again, 
and he didn't sell that many Cadillacs in the day or even in a month, I'm sure, but never heard from him again on the credit app or whatever we had to fill out. It had my birthday. He didn't send me a birthday card. It was like it didn't happen except I had the car. 19, that's 1965. By 1967, I was president of the company that had run a, won a nationwide year-long sales contest, uh, and I won the mystery prize, which turned out to be presidency of the company. Zig Ziglar came in second. He won a role. Somebody else won a Lincoln Continental and, and so on. But meanwhile, back to the Cadillac dealership, nothing happened beyond, thank you very much, here are the keys, have a nice day. By 1967, as president of the company, the first contest that I ran, I figured out a way to run better contests where you don't have a year and one winner, because when you have one winner, everybody knows at the beginning of the year who it's going to be. I set up a contest where if you did so much volume, you got a brand new Lincoln Continental. And uh, if if 100 people hit the target, then we'd give away 100 Lincolns. Uh, some people in the company were a little concerned that that might happen, but it was done on a percentage basis. So I, what did I care? So my first contest that I ran, I gave away 48 Lincoln Continentals. But I didn't get them from the guy that should have been the guy I would run all cars through. I got them through a new friend named Herc, H-E-R-K, a Greek guy who owned Marin Bay, Lincoln Mercury in San Rafael, California. And over the next few years, I bought and or leased and gave away over 300 cars. There was no way you could get me to buy anything from anybody else. And of course, any car dealer can get any kind of car. He sold Lincoln Mercury's, but he also sold me my Corvette, another one of our executives there, Stutz, Bearcat, et cetera. And all of that came from the way he treated me when I landed in California and replaced Mike, the Cadillac, went to Rucker back in Atlanta when I had to replace it. So I got a Lincoln Continental from him. 300 luxury automobiles from Hurt, and nobody else could get that business. Then he retired and died, and I moved up to the area I'm in now, up in Gold Country, Placerville, and we started a new business. And in that business, we had a new cosmetic line. I love cosmetics and healthcare items because of the high markup. So if you can get a good quality product, it's a very profitable thing to sell. Under that business, through a new guy I met in Sacramento, 300 plus luxury automobiles over the next probably eight or nine years after we got up and got it up and running. All of those sales, 600 plus luxury automobiles could have and should have gone to the guy who sold me a Cadillac in 1965, but he didn't understand the value. And he looked at me probably thinking they're going to have to repo the car pretty oh. quick. You know, he, he he was prejudging. Yeah, he was prejudging. You know, here's two kids. They're 23 years old or 24, whatever. And uh, buying a Cadillac and they have to go in half and half and get one car. And there's two of them. He didn't give me, other than here are the keys, he didn't give me the time of day. Now take 600 luxury cars, average them out at today, $75,000, $80,000 or more. 
and, the park, and definitely more some of it yeah and some rolls royces sprinkled in there and uh so on and look at the business he missed because did he ever me. know ben did he ever understand that that happened or no, no. Yeah, i'm sure he's because he was older i'm sure he's dead now and gone to his reward without knowing what he missed and we didn't have the internet now with drip marketing of course he had a drip marketing system he could have used called postcards Mm-hmm. And a telephone and a drawer full of birthday cards and so on. He didn't do any of that stuff and missed. So there are people who are in the automobile business, haven't sold 600 cars in their careers. He left it on the side. He left it on the table because he prejudged even after I bought a Cadillac. Right. And, you know, and I want to go back to Herc in just a moment, but what you're talking about, and I think this all the time, there's a huge difference in my mind anyway, about there's a difference between these customer service and customer experience. Mm -hmm. And to me, customer experience is going to win every single time. Absolutely. I tell friends of mine who are in the restaurant business and Gigi and I eat out a lot. Uh, that's just the two of us, and she doesn't like to cook, and I don't like to clean up. So <laughs> it doesn't take much of an excuse to get us in our restaurant. And I've told several, and we always make friends with the owner and the manager and our favorite servers and so on. But I've told several friends, owners, you don't understand what you're selling. And I said, what do you mean? You're selling the experience. There are a couple of restaurants we go in. I've never seen the owner, never met the owner, don't know who it is. Know the manager, because I always want to make sure we get good service. But I don't know where the owner is, hiding in the attic or something, adding up receipts. I don't know what they do. But what I tell them is, dining out is not to eat. We have food, beer, wine at home. It's the it's an experience. It's, it's the experience talking to other people, being out, hearing things other than being trapped in our office and so on. So you got to know what you're selling. It's still in business and may still be a wonderful restaurant. I haven't been there in years because it, it used to be a block from my house in Tiburon, California. And uh, my first wife and I, uh, she's now passed. My first wife and I, she she wasn't a cook. Her idea of dinner that our first night together was a banana boat. That's when you <laughs> slip a banana lengthways and pack it with peanut butter. Oh, ick. And I was I said, thinking I you said, were going to say, you know, ice cream or something. No, peanut no. butter. Oh, wasn't that yeah. good? Ice cream would have helped. But uh, after, and then I came home the second night and we were having banana boats again. So I went looking for a good restaurant. I bet <laughs> and, you did. And we found the Caprice. Now, the Caprice is the only, you would think any restaurant on San Francisco Bay, any restaurant, has a beautiful view of the Golden Gate Bridge. And if you're on the other side, the San Francisco skyline and so on. In Marin County, one of the wealthiest counties in the world, the only restaurant that has an unobstructed view of the Golden Gate Bridge and the San Francisco skyline is the Caprice. And the Caprice used to be a house, is set on uh, long poles that go into the water. So when you're up against the window eating, you're literally over San Francisco Bay. View is stunning. Food was magnificent. And uh, I became friends with the people. So when I walked in, they would hug me and Roger, the major D, acted like I was the second coming. So on. so one day I took Merle Frazier, one of my early mentors there for dinner. And 
I made sure that we were in a special spot. Roger called it my regular table. I didn't have a regular table as long as I could be up against the glass and look out that beautiful view. But he seated us at my, quote, regular table, end of quote, brought us magnificent stuff, presented us with a bottle of wine for free. Uh, uh, there's another word for it, but free is... is, is Complimentary. Is, yeah. It sounded more special than free. Anyway, yeah. it was an expensive bottle of wine, and it was magnificent, and we had the steak tar and all this. And Roger treated me. He had a French accent. The menu was in French, so he would read it in French, the nine items on the menu, top to bottom. And then he would translate it into English and read it again, which was interesting because you couldn't tell his English from his French. He had, he had to know what fish look like in French or steak or whatever. And uh, so anyway, we had a magnificent dinner. And uh, I was going to ask Merle to come to work for us and want to make sure it was a special event. On the way out, we get out in front of the street and he said, I said, was that the best meal you've ever had or what? And Merle said, it was excellent food, but there's excellent food lots of places. Let me tell you why you think it's the best food in the world. And I said, why? He said, the way they treat you. Exactly. Magical exactly. setting. He said, but you walked in and Roger was about six, eight, came over, picked me up off the floor, spun me around a couple of times, put me down. Here's your regular table. I assume you'd be starting with a steak tatar and your regular wine. I didn't have a regular wine, but he made it look like I did because he knew this was not a guy. Merle wasn't a guy he saw every few minutes. So it must be a business contact and uh, it turned it into a magical evening. And Merle was old enough and wise enough to realize what they were doing to me. It was the experience, the treatment. And I've since realized I've been all over the world eating in dives, uh, excellent restaurants, I got food poisoned at the Savoy in London, almost died. Uh, don't eat the kippers at the Savoy. Don't eat and, kippers anywhere. Yeah, yeah I could, I could make that argument too. <laughs> but at the Savoy, don't eat the kippers. Uh, and, uh, and as I said, dives and so on. But the experience is it every place I've been. Funny experience I still tell. As a result, hundreds of people have probably been there. There's this little dive bar called China Camp in Marin County on the water, oddly enough, within a mile or two of the Caprice. And what they really do is rent out fishing boats, yellow rowboats, and you go out and you fish and so on. And so it is uh, beer and dirty clothes and people that smell like fish. So I'm <clears throat> sitting there one day and I said, uh, shrimp cocktail please guy says not a problem and uh he scoops it out and uh squirts the cocktail sauce it wasn't a fine presentation but it was what i asked for shrimp cocktail we're sitting there eating that friend of mine and i and another guy comes in who's a fisherman he just got off one of those little boats came and he said like a, a carton of uh bait please shrimp bait the guy reaches in to the cooler that with an ice cream scoop where he just got my shrimp cocktail, <laughs> scooped it out, dumped it in a little uh -huh. card, one of those cardboard boxes like you get at a China restaurant, Chinese restaurant, 
He said, that'll be $3. And as he's walking out the door, I said, excuse me, I just got shrimp out of that same container. Mine was five, his was three. He said, he asked for bait. You asked for a shrimp cocktail. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I tell that story because it's part of the cocktail stuff. Yeah, so there's yeah. that. I said, well, next time I'll order bait. And he said, it doesn't come with cocktail sauce. There you so, go. <laughs> but that's one of those experiences. You know, it, some people could get upset by it. It was a wonderful experience. Every time I went there after that, we used to use it at the end of our dirt bar bike Saturday ride. We'd drop in there because we were. By that time, we were dressed for China camp, dirt all over us and grease and so on. But it was an experience. So whether it's at the Caprice for hundreds of dollars, probably $1,000 or more now, or China camp for $5, $3 if you ask for bait, it's the experience. And salespeople don't understand that. Treat me like I'm a king. And I wouldn't deal, do business with anybody but you in that product category ever. When my father died, uh, I was told uh, throughout his life after I got to the point where I would probably be an adult in the family doing things in the event of his death, he said, go to the top left, left my top left drawer at the office, get it out. Right on top, there's a list of things you do. And uh, number one was called Phil Gage, G-A-G-E. He was with Massachusetts Mutual Insurance guy and had his phone number. So the day after I got back to Atlanta to take care of things, I went to the drawer, opened it up, called Phil Gage. So I did. And he said, Ben, I'm so sorry to hear that. Your dad was one of my favorite people. Uh, tell me what you need. I said, well, this is new to me. I've never had anybody close to me die and I wasn't in charge of anything. He said, I'll be right there. Came over to the office, went through his files, got out all the insurance policies and uh, got them into motion. Uh, went with me to Turner Funeral Home to make the arrangements for my father and make sure it turned out that I didn't get screwed over. He wanted to be cremated. So I didn't need the $15,000 uh, metal coffin, you know, that they would reuse after we left. They probably sold it 20 times. He needed a simple wooden casket, so on to burn up with him and save me from that. And they did this and called here and, and so on. So 10 days later, I'm getting ready to leave. My mother's in reasonable shape. My sister's there. And I thought I better call Phil Gage for two reasons. One, to thank him. And two, to uh, point out to him that the only insurance check I hadn't gotten yet for my mother was one from Mass Mutual. And Phil said, oh, oh, Ben, your father hasn't had a policy with me for years. After you and Jane grew up and left home, he didn't need as much coverage as he had. And the one that was best canceled was mine. I said, oh, my God, well, I was told to call you. He said, that's what I told him the day I sold him the policy. I didn't say, unless you're doing less or no business with me. In the meantime, I said, have your son or your wife call me and I will handle everything. So that's what I did. Well, Phil was in the million dollar club, I, I'm sure on his own. But I told that story as long as he was alive and in business all over, all over the world, because it's a good story, but all over the United States, 
complete with his phone number. And he told me one day, he said, Ben, I could be in the multi-million dollar insurance clubs with just the business you've sent me. And he said, I, I know this as soon as I answer the phone, uh, they will say, hi, Ben Gay sent me. And he told me the most wonderful story about you. And he said, then I know that I'm going to hear the list in the top left-hand drawer story again. But that's how you get and keep a customer. Uh, you don't think, well, he's he's not a customer policy holder anymore. I won't do anything for his son. You do what you said you were going to do. You don't know when you're selling one car to some pimply face, faced 142-pound guy with a flat top. Uh, you don't treat him as if that's the only car he'll ever buy, and you're just glad his credit cleared. Uh, and uh, had I been at the garage sale with Hugh Harris, uh, I without knowing he was going to turn a 50-cent book into millions of dollars in business, I would have found out what he was doing, uh, found out he owned a company with 10 offices and he was in the home improvement business. They employed at any given time three to 500 salespeople. I would have found out all of that. I would have agreed to do a seminar or two for all of his people. And I would have deliberately gotten the millions of dollars in business instead of them accidentally coming to me and finding out that story four or five years deep into our relationship. So you got to, you need to qualify people. Uh, I frequently use as an example, if I'm selling oil tankers, a 75 year old lady who's never been to the ocean probably doesn't need one. That's qualifying. Uh, but I, I don't prejudge people because you don't know and you don't know who they know. Uh, exactly. Yeah, who, who they're going to tell the story to. With Phil Gage, I repeat, I sold indirectly millions of dollars in insurance for him by just telling people all over the United States what a wonderful guy he was. And Ben, you do this, you treat your business the same way because I've heard you say multiple times that when somebody say, well, listen, what you're selling me, I can buy it for 10 bucks cheaper down the road. What's the difference between you and them? And you will always say, because you get me. Right. And my business card and right. my private cell phone number written on the back. So if anything goes wrong, you don't call AAA. If I was selling cars, you don't call AAA. If you bought property from me, you don't call the real estate commissioner or the Better Business Bureau. You call me and it'll be handled. And that's exactly. worth a lot, you know, instead of some kid who got his real estate license a week ago uh, and won't be in the business six months from now. Well, there is that. But, you know, you were talking about restaurants and then I I, I made a note to go back to Herc again. But my, my best friend Maggie and I were out and about this weekend and, you know, she, just kind of an impromptu thing. She said, I've got to go here and go there. Do you want to come go with? I said, sure. So. Right around three o'clock, we were both saying, yeah, I think we're hungry because I was drooping. I really was. I hadn't eaten all day and I don't think she had either. So I said, well, how about Mexican? You know, there's a, I've read about a new Mexican place here close by and it's got good reviews on Facebook. So let's go see. And we had a hard time finding it, but we wandered in and this waiter came over and he just, he thought we were the best things on legs. He, he was so <laughs> sweet. And I mean, he wasn't 
overpowering. He didn't hover over us, but he made sure that we were taken care of. And, you know, I was chatting with him. I said, well, you know, what do you like? He said, oh, my God, everything. And he said, you know what? He's so excited. When you work here, they don't charge you to eat here. And I said, oh, you're going to get fat. He said, I know. (laughs) It's because of food. (laughs) But, you know, he was saying, well, how did you find us? Which I thought was a very good question. Mm -hmm. I said, well, Facebook. He's all good. Listen, talk with this guy a little bit. He had been there two days. Mm two days he knew exactly how to treat people he was just a natural and i told him i said listen you are you've just been a pleasure to you know have us at your table we really enjoyed it thank you so much i mean i i mean this guy was just on top of it without going well what can i get you next i mean he would keep an eye on us and he could tell that i drink a lot of water so he'd sneak by and, you know, pour me some more water, bring me another glass of water, and then off he'd go. You know, it was just, it was an excellent experience, and the food was delicious. So it's a win-win. I need to go on Facebook and compliment the whole place. Yeah, do the Yelp thing or, or Yeah, whatever. Facebook. And, exactly. And, uh, and I guarantee you, you will be in that restaurant again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we, we called another friend and said, you got to come go with us the next time. This And a lot of food, in fact, is kind of funny because I always order one thing, and that's the big giant give-me-everything platter because I'm going to take it home with me and eat it for yeah. two or three days. Yeah. And so he brings three different platters, and I looked at him. He said, you're going to need to-go boxes, aren't you? Yeah. So <laughs> at one point, you know, he saw that one of my little platters was almost empty. And he said, do you want me to take that? And I think I growled at him. I was like, no. <laughs> get, your hand, get your hands <laughs> off of that. Back off. <laughs> so, and when you go back, ask for him by name. Oh, you're yeah. Making the reservation. Absolutely. You want to sit at so-and-so's table because you want to reward the behavior that you want to see repeated. And that helps the sales world. If he finds out that by treating people graciously, he gets more business he's asked for by name, he will be even more gracious to other people. And when he encounters uh, accidentally or on purpose, a salesperson who might use him as a model, uh, Roger at the Caprice, in many ways, I use as a model. You don't have to speak English uh, well. Uh, to survive in an upscale restaurant in a rich county. You have to be gracious and charming, backed up by good food. Exactly, exactly. This was fun, and I'm not one of those people you say, Gigi doesn't like to cook. I love to cook. It's very relaxing for me. It's very creative for me. I cook. So I'm rarely in restaurants. If I am, it's like, okay, let's grab a quick lunch and then get out of here. This was, I'll go back. I will definitely go back. That's a, those are those special little experiences, whether you're buying insurance, a car, or a meal, uh, those type. And those people, Roger uh, drove as nice or nice a car than I did, lived uh, a mile from us by coincidence. It was still an upscale, lovely area and so on. My point being, uh, he wasn't a busboy at Denny's. He made probably as much or more money than 90% of the people he waited on because we all asked for Roger and we all tipped generously. Exactly. In fact, I was asking my friend Maggie, I said, you know, 
he's worth a, more than just a standard tip. So we made sure that he was taken care of. You leave a full 10%? No, eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> he was that good? He was good. <laughs> <laughs> My new uh, Mexican uh, restaurant joke, guy goes in a restaurant, orders, didn't really know the menu that well. Uh, a waiter comes by and he says, waiter, excuse me. This soup is cold. And he says, sir, that's gazpacho. He said, oh, I'm sorry, gazpacho. Anyway, the soup is cold. <laughs> he was in the wrong type of restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, I'm the little southern boy from Atlanta, Georgia. When I moved out here, I thought San Jose was San Jose, because that's what it said on the sign on the highway. Uh, when they asked, handed me the wine list, I'm thinking, wine you don't drink wine unless it's out of a brown paper bag in an alley i'm from atlanta you have bourbon or southern comfort or whatever and uh, so it took me a little while to adjust including the first time gazpacho was brought to me i didn't call him down on it but i did wonder why it was cold <laughs> and then somebody was kind enough to say it's supposed to be yes <laughs> when we were kids we would just just to drive my father nuts because it wasn't difficult to do. We would say San Jose. We knew it was San Jose, but we would do it so he could correct us. Then we'd get to the Carquina Strait and he would lose his mind. Because <laughs> just imagine what you know a bunch of kids can do with the, the word yeah. Arquinas. Yeah. <laughs> I drove over it just the other day. Uh, and now, you know, they used to call that Blood Alley. Yeah. Because of the head-ons and so on when that two-lane or whatever it was, three-lane road crosses the swampland. If you go there today, there's a divider from Marin County all the way over to uh, 101 on the Sacramento side, for lack of a better word, the other end of the thing that has saved hundreds of lives. Put up by an old friend of mine who used to work for me named Kelly Geese. Uh, that, that's a she. Kelly Geese, because her son uh, was killed on the Carquinas Straits oh. in a head-on collision. And she made it her thing in life for four or five years to raise the money, put the pressure on the political people, and put up that divider. And from a head-on collision, nobody has been killed or hurt out there since. So whenever I cross the, the bridge, his name was Nikki. I, I look over at the divider and go, Nikki, I'm sorry you gave your life for it, but you sure have saved a lot of lives. Right. You know, when we, my father, apparently, I have terrible, well, I'm just going to say it. I am directionally impaired. Oh, bad. so am I. When I go to the dentist, they have to lead me out because I will get lost. <laughs> it's like a rabbit warren or a mouse oh maze or God. something. And no matter where we were going, if my father was driving, we knew we were going to wind up on the street. It was just a given. We weren't supposed to be there, but it happened. And to this day, I still can't find my way around my own little town here. And it's not that big, but I still get lost. But, to, you know, I have to tell you, when they moved that barn, I got lost. It's like, where did the grocery store go? Yeah, yeah, the, the reference point. The, yeah, exactly or the red right. truck. The red, yep. old rusted red truck under yep. the tree. Don't move it. This is the little it. horse barn. They moved it and they, they put a house on it. And I'm still mad about that. <laughs> but it's just, <laughs> it is what it is. But I wanted to go back to Herc 
So my question is, what did he do? And and the other guy, because you had two different people, what did they do to earn you your your undying devotion? How did they treat you? Well, one, they sold quality products, uh, Lincoln's and, and anything else you wanted. But Lincoln's were uh, steadfast so he could stand behind his car. He treated me like I was the most special person in the world. Every time you read a book about some great person in history, somewhere in the book, you will find someone saying, quoting or whatever. When I was with him or her, I felt as as if I were the most important person in the world or if I were the only person in the world. And there's a lot of people have that magic. Bill Clinton, whether you like his politics or not, isn't important. Bill Clinton was a master at staring at you. When George Bush Sr. died, uh, George H.W. Bush, one of his sons, I forget who it was, said at the funeral, uh, I was just talking to my dad's best friend moments ago and four or five hundred other of his best friends. They all he made that bond with them one-on-one. So Hurt treated me, even though I was young, I took over the company when I was 25. Uh, he's, he wasn't stupid. He knew we were one of the bigger businesses in town and we were two blocks from his office. And he probably sold the car to, to some of the people who were there before I got transferred out. I don't know. But when he saw me, one, he was a gracious gentleman. And two, he knew I could be important to his business. So he made it clear that I knew I didn't. I thought all you could buy at a Lincoln Mercury dealership was Lincoln's or Mercury's. First time I met him, he said, Ben, you're going to be in a situation. I want to show you some things you can do because people love cars. He led me down the path of instead of giving away a television set next time, why don't we up the ante and make it a car? And he said, and I want you to understand you're not limited to Lincoln's and Mercury's. I can sell you any kind of car from anywhere in the country, whether I have it or not, I can get it or have it shipped from where it is to where you go. So he explained to me that I'd have to go looking when I decided to give away Cadillacs, go look for a Cadillac dealership or this and build a new thing. I love to, I talk about it in in one of the closers books. I liked in my life to have a vice president in charge of every aspect of my life, meaning vice president of automobiles. You make one phone call. You don't have to quibble. If they weren't bright enough to explain to you how they work and how they would treat you, then I tell them how they will work and how they will treat me. And if they do, not only will I do business with them, uh, I will make sure everybody I know at least knows about how good they are. So you train people how to to treat you. And Herc was a natural at that when uh, we had a contest where we gave away Uh, some Rolls Royces. I didn't go look at British Motors later was a client of mine over in San Francisco, a Lincoln, a a Rolls Royce and Bentley dealership. I didn't call them. I called Herc. And what Herc told me was, I will give you uh, one. I know cars. I won't let you make a mistake. There's some real junk floating around and I won't allow you to buy it or give it away or anything. So I will guide you to the quality cars. Then uh, I'm not here to to go broke or whatever. I will make a reasonable profit. You know how you go into a dealership and it's 50,000. So you offer 40. So they come back with 45 and, uh, and so on. So he said, I have 
pre is where I got the term. I use it all the time. I have pre-haggled prices for you. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to call me up and, and start at manufacturer suggested retail, uh, and then, uh, or he would want to start there, then you offer 20000 less, then we split the difference, then we split that difference, and so on. He said, I don't want to do that. Life's too short. Uh, when you ask for a car, I will give you a price that's fair. I will treat you fairly, squarely, decently, by the rules, and you might be able to get it for $100 less somewhere else if that's worth the trouble to you at the money you make per hour. Uh, have at it. But I promise you the first price I give you will be a fair price. Uh, a real negotiator will be proud to have gotten it. Then I'll stand behind the car and I not only will find cars for you in other dealerships and other parts of the country, I will find dealerships that are highly recommended to me by people who know the people in that uh, area. So when something goes wrong, and it will from time to time, we don't have to wonder how to get it taken care of. We're already dealing with someone who will get it taken care of. You know, those here's a cute story I haven't thought of in a long time. You know, when you're driving down the road out in the middle of nowhere, you see an auto mall with these huge American flags. Yeah, um, we have those here. Yeah, okay. I keep waiting for one of them in particular to fall across the highway and kill a whole bunch of us. <laughs> well, the first one uh, that was used for that purpose, not first American flag, but for that's called a brigade flag. It's the largest official American flag there is. And when I found them, tracked them down, they were only made by one company. I remember it was in Ohio. I don't remember the name of the company, but I went in to see Herc one day and he wasn't his normal jovial self. He was to me, but I could tell him. I said, what's the problem? He said, the city council is driving me crazy. I just spent millions of dollars putting in this dealership. He was already in the car business, but building the first brand new uh, luxury car dealership in Marin County in many years, spent millions of dollars putting it in. They want to restrict me to a sign uh, out on the main road about the size of your television set. Unlit, oh. hanging on, you know, on a, like a for sale sign, real estate for sale sign, hanging mm-hmm. on a hook. That's all they'll approve. I said, oh, no, they'll approve something else, I'm sure. And he said, Ben, I'm telling you, they are out to get me. I don't know what I've done to aggravate them. And I said, well, let me give it some thought. So I gave it some thought, tracked down this company in Ohio, found out it was called a brigade flag, and it had to go on just so it wouldn't touch the ground. It had to go on a, I'm making up numbers, but a eight-story tall pole, and that had to be set in the ground like you were building a skyscraper. And so I said, so here's what we're going to do. We're not going to ask them. We're just going to install this flag on about five days notice to the newsletters, I mean, to the newspapers and so on. And we're going to have the American Legion and the VFW come out and install like it you think. in full dress uniform. So it went out in time for the, the uh, powers that be in San Rafael to show up and they were met by about 40 people in full dress uniform, complete with ceremonial guns and with blanks. They did the 21 or whatever it was, gun salute as they raised the flag. And I was uh, standing near some of the 
county supervisors and so on. And one of them said to the other, he beat us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, he did. (laughs) Yeah. Herc is gone and that building is now a Toyota dealership. But the last time I was down there, the flag was still flying. And of course, the people who have it now don't know the story. But it was, you're going to restrict me to a 14-inch sign? Watch this. And then his advertising went, Marin Bay, Lincoln, Mercury, the dealership beneath the flag. Oh, I love that. Didn't Donald Trump have some issues with his giant flag It's some years ago? Yeah. the uh, maybe. I, I don't remember the story, but I know there was a big fuss over his flag. It was something about height. It, it had to be taller or shorter than or what have you. Well, they forgot he's a construction guy. So mm-hmm. he phoned for the bulldozers. And, oh, the flag could not be any higher than, I'm making up numbers, 30 feet. So he built, I'm making up numbers, he built a 50-foot hill. A little mound of some kind. A little mound. <laughs> yeah. And put the flag on top of that. So it was still 30 feet. See, that's good thinking. Yeah, good thinking. And uh, miraculously, the tip of the pole was about 60 feet from sea level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's Herc in reverse. Right. And you don't have to put up with people want to throw you away. You, You just don't. You can find a way around it if you're smart enough and if you are willing to just say, listen, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to comply, so I'm going to do it this way. Yeah, better to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. Exactly. Uh, here's a, another cute Herc story. Uh, <clears throat> he called me up one day. He says, Ben, I got a car here you've got to see. This has your name written all over it. So I go down. It was a 1972, brand new 1972 Corvette. The last year they put the chrome bumpers on it. It was spectacular looking. European racing gray with the T-top, you know, where you take off the solid things and put them behind the seat and if you want to be in a convertible. And I I said, wow. And it was, uh, again, we have to price adjust things, but I think it was $10,000. So I said, and I had just left Holiday Magic, had plenty of money. But there was not new money coming in yet. I hadn't found my footing. I hadn't gone into the speaking business where you charged all my speaking had been within the company covered by my salary and uh, so on. So I was aware of money. And I had told Marsha, my first wife, uh, I had told her uh, the days of going down and buying this and this and this are temporarily suspended. So uh, I want to, you know, just be aware of it. We're not going to miss any meals. We're not going to lose the house. Everything's fine. But let's just cool it till I get the same amount of money I was making for coming in the door again. She said, not a problem. Herc calls me, go down and look at the car. How much is $10,000? So that's today 100000 or more, roughly. And I said, Herc, uh, I got a problem with that. Uh, I just told Marsha not to spend. He said, well, do you remember how we put the flag up? And I said, yeah. And he said, put your mind on it. I'm sure you'll come up with something. <laughs> so I go home. Okay, I can't wait. Keep talking. I, I go home the next day or later that afternoon. It was real quick having looked at Oh, and, I, and he said, I'll put your name on the car. I'm confident you'll solve this problem. So I I go home. And a friend of mine who worked for me in Holiday Magic was starting a new 
company in Barbados. And he said, I want you to come back and speak, pay all your expenses, $10,000 or 10% of the money we raise in the room for stock ownership after you finish speaking. So that today is 100,000 or more. But uh, uh, he said, so it's it's $10,000. And I said, how much again? $10,000. I said, okay, uh, I'll take it. And uh, so I came out of my home office, started down the steps. There was Marsha. And I said, Marsha, good news. What's that? Ben Andrews is hiring me to give a speech. And we get a brand new Corvette. Oh, you did not. I did. Marsha died of cancer several years ago. She uh, went to her grave never knowing that for a moment there was cash in my hand that went to her. Bad <laughs> All she knew bad. was I gave, a, I gave a speech and got a Corvette. What? I don't even know what to say about I, I feel ashamed. I really do. Part of me is really proud of you, and part of me <laughs> wishes she would come back and smack the crap out of you. <laughs> So, I'm I'm torn. Can you tell? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm torn, but I just told the story to thousands of people, and this isn't yes, the first time I've told it. So I must not be as torn as I should be. I think you've gotten over it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's dead. I don't think yeah. I told the story while she was still alive. Oh, bless her. Listen, we're running out of time, but I do want to tell people, listen, go get this book because we're talking about... You know, the things that happen when you're not paying attention and you're prejudging somebody. And listen, we all do it. I mean, it's just part of our nature, but you can't overcome it. And there's at the end of this chapter, there's a story that we don't have time to tell it, but about your son in a jewelry store. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. But what the question that he said, because he lost the sale big time. Right. You said, my son asked, Dad. When do you learn not to do that? And I said, I don't know, son. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't learned it yet. No. <laughs> I, I try. I'm better. But I truly don't know. And as you remember the story, he was he missed a sale for thousands of dollars for a fancy wedding ring. Top of the most expensive thing they had in the store at Zales. Uh, Zales. Oh my yeah. God. And he, <laughs> he missed it because... He was wrapped up in a six dollar, I think it was six dollar and fifty cent watch battery. Watch battery. Somebody, yeah. Yep, been there, done that. Well, listen, Ben. Before I let you go, and wow, we just ripped right through this hour. Tell people where they can find you, where they can find your books, which are so important because that's what we're teaching from each week on Wednesday. And oh. Let me not forget this. I want to encourage the audience to adopt the valuable insights from Ben. But really what I want you to do is not to forget about the mentoring program, which was an idea born, excuse me, born from his mentorship with Dr. Napoleon Hill. And it's now a reality. So share your info, Ben. Well, if you'd like to get the books, which I would recommend whether we were doing this podcast or not, they're the best-selling, most popular, most powerful books on selling ever written. You want the at least I call them the Bibles. Sales yeah, Bibles. You want at least the closers parts one and two, and you can get them with special pricing and free shipping and an unconditional lifetime money back guarantee. Signed the book, signed and dated by me 
at stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay, you know how to spell that, dot com slash Ronzoni Books. That's all one word, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books, B-O-O-K-S. Don't get them at my website. Go there and do it. Then, since Denise was kind enough to mention the mentoring program, I do a thing called Mentoring Dynamics based on how Dr. Hill worked with me when I was his last protege and uh, so on. And you do that by just sending me an email at B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the numeral three, BFG3 at directcon, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N dot net, short for direct connect directcon.net and in the subject line just say mentor information on mentoring make sure the word mentoring is there so i know why you're writing to me and we'll send you the details of how that program works thank you well listen what did you want to talk about next week well truth is i haven't looked yet so let's show how good the closures part two uh is we will start at page 209, 209, and we will do Getting Them to Buy Your Offer. Oh, I need that one. It's not as if I haven't read this book 100 times, 209. I have more than that. Okay, well, I will see you next week. And everybody, go find our – Go. you can find us, honestly. Just go to yourpartnerinsuccessradio.com. You will find everything that Ben and I have done on there. You can listen right there on the website. Or you can go to Apple, you can go wherever you download your podcast and you can find us. Honestly, you cannot throw a stick at your partner in Success Radio without hitting it on the internet. We're everywhere. Ben, thank you. I look forward to doing this all over again on Wednesday. All right. Bless you, dear. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. And know that Gigi and I love you. Thank you. Right back at you.